Well, welcome everybody. Good to see you guys this weekend. And again, hope that you had a great week and that God is continuing to help you and sustain you and bless you uh, through this unique time that, that we live in. We're always praying for you and miss you like crazy. Can't wait till uh, we're able to meet again in person. Hopefully that won't be too horribly long, but in the interim, grateful that we can meet like this and grateful that you take the time to prioritize and kind of dial in and uh, allow God to, to work through you and teach you and, uh, and motivate you as we worship together and study his word together. Uh, so we're in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Taking Ground. Uh, and in this series, we're looking at how what Jesus did for us on the cross and then through his resurrection, uh, how he purchased for us an identity, uh, an identity of us being more than conquerors, being overcomers. And we've said those aren't slogans. That's not like self-talk. That's not human motivation. But it's a factual thing where God would look at his followers and say, as you approach trials and as you go through uncertainties, don't forget who you are. You are a holy nation, a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. And spiritually, as you go through these times, I want those things to define you and kind of frame up how you're approaching the circumstances. So I've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Uh, maybe worth a listen for you if you have missed those conversations or want to jump onto them. Uh, the website, the app is always a great place to do that and maybe binge watch a little bit and catch up on those conversations. Uh, this weekend, as we keep moving this idea forward of taking ground, I want to introduce a, a big concept to you and then I want to break it all the way down into like our everyday life, how this big God concept would cause us to approach everyday life differently and cause us to see uh, everyday life the way that God wanted to see it. So this is, a, this is a big idea. It's a big idea that God would want to guide the thinking of the Christ follower and it's a big idea that if you're not a Christ follower yet, uh, it's a big idea that you might find rest in and you might find hope and comfort in if you'll choose to trust it, right? And so for you, maybe you're going to consider this idea here uh, this weekend. For a Christ follower, God would say, let's trust this idea and we'll kind of operate in it. So Here's the idea. I want to introduce this biblical concept of the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. And so the sovereignty of God is tied to who God is and what God is like. Uh, it's also called, tied to the providence of God. It's tied to the will of God. It kind of bounces around that realm of thinking. But for our conversation this weekend, we're just going to call this the sovereignty of God. So what is it? This is the definition will come up on the screen here so you can see it, but it's this idea. The sovereignty of God is the idea that God is the ultimate authority and ultimately controls all things 
while allowing humanity to make choices about our responses to him within his sovereignty, right? So God's a big God. God has authority over all things. God controls all things. But as a human being, he still gives us a freedom of choice. How are we going to act? How are we going to react? Are we going to choose to trust him in faith? Are we going to choose to believe him? Are we going to choose to resist him or rebel against him? It doesn't change whether or not he is sovereign, but it does alter our responses under his sovereignty. So sovereignty is the nature of God. So God is ultimately powerful over all things and the ultimate authority and the ultimate designer of all things. This is a concept that is not easy to understand. In fact, here in a minute, I'll argue that we never quite get our head around the sovereignty of God, but it is who God is. And by faith, when we accept God's sovereignty and we rest in God's sovereignty, it changes or influences the decisions that we make within it, all right? So the prophet Isaiah would have spoken to this a little bit. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and following, uh, he said it this way, talking about God, kind of to God. And, and he said this in verse eight, 55 of Isaiah. He says, for your thoughts are not, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so as God is interacting with Isaiah, he, he's saying to him, hey, listen, Isaiah, and through the scripture, all of us, I, I just need you to remember that I, God, am not you, humanity, uh, I don't think the way that you think. Uh, I don't operate the way that you would operate. My thoughts are higher. They're greater than. My ways are higher. They are greater than. And I'll add now, and I am sovereign. So I have the ultimate authority. That's why my ways are the right ways and my thoughts are the right thoughts. And I have the ultimate control that the plan that I am laying out and executing is almost always going to be different than yours. But your plan being out of control does not mean my plan is being out of control. I am sovereign and my people trust that. My people have faith in that and all people can trust that and have faith in that, and it will bring rest to you. So I might say it this way, God's in control of all things. I have the choice to trust his heart and mind as he directs the events of human history. And it's a, this is a really big God concept, right? And it's a really big God truth that kind of infiltrates all the scripture and it really will influence and define how I respond to who God is and what God is doing or allowing to happen. So we could probably talk for 
two months about the sovereignty of God, and there are countless books that have been written on this like theological concept. But I think ideas like this are easier seen than talked about. And so what I wanted to do this weekend was, was I wanted to take us through a, a story in the scripture of God's sovereignty. And, and I want us to kind of wrestle with God's sovereignty and see it and then wrestle with this idea of us choosing to trust and choosing to be faithful within God's sovereignty and see that and kind of put skin on this big idea. And then we'll talk about how that shows up in our life. So grab your Bible or hit the app on your phone if it's not open already and go to Genesis 37. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you the story of Joseph we're not going to go through it word by word because it's 13 chapters long in the Bible. And I just don't think that, I know you love me, but you don't want to spend the whole day with me. So we're going to kind of walk this through on a high level. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to see the sovereignty of God at work. And then we're going to see the choices of Joseph at work and kind of watch how this plays out, right? So Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to start. And I want to introduce you to this guy named Joseph. So Joseph was one of 12 kids, a blended family, right? So same dad, two moms. Joseph and his brother Benjamin were from one mom, and then the other 10 brothers were from another mom. So all kinds of family dynamics and tension that would go into a situation like that. The deal with Joseph is he was clearly the favorite child. And so the favorite child in a blended family is going to compound all of that tension, but that's who Joseph was. And his dad thought of him that way. His mom thought of him that way. His brother and stepbrothers all kind of knew that they did. And Joseph thought of himself that way. So when we pick up Joseph's life, uh, Joseph is either an older teenager or a young adult here when we pick up his life in chapter 37 of Genesis. And we're going to pick up his life in verse 5 where Joseph has a dream. And that's what the Bible said. Joseph had a dream. And Joseph had a God-given dream. It was, sometimes we call this a vision God gave Joseph a vision or he gave him a dream and the vision and the dream that God gave to Joseph was extremely beneficial to Joseph. So Joseph has this dream and the summary of the dream is that one day Joseph will rule over all of his brothers and his mom and dad, right? Pretty good vision. So God's like, hey, Joseph, I want to tell you something. You're going to be the man one day, and isn't that awesome? And so Joseph goes, and he tells his brothers, and he tells his mom and dad. And his dad was pretty annoyed at Joseph's dreams, and his brother, especially his 10 brothers, were pretty honked off about that, so much so that they decided that they were going to attack Joseph fake his death and get him out of their life. Okay, so we'll walk through this story, but I want to I wanna start at the beginning, right? Joseph has a dream from God 
a dream that comes from a sovereign God. And that dream was beneficial to Joseph. It made him kind of uh, great in that dream. And that's where the story of God's sovereignty starts here. When Joseph woke up and had a vision about what God was going to do through him, and he walked out and decided to tell his brothers and his family about that, Joseph would have looked at God and said, I believe God is speaking to me, and I believe God's going to do something incredible in my life. And in that moment, God was sovereign. He was in control. He was executing a plan. And Joseph was responsible. He chose to believe or to have faith that that dream was from God and he trusted in that dream. And that put him on top of the world. Favorite kid, interacted by God in a favored way. And God told him that he was going to have leadership and rulership over his, his family. God was sovereign. Joseph chose to trust it, and it was playing out in his benefit, right? Now the story moves, the story moves. And so Joseph goes to connect with his brothers. His brothers are really, really honked off. They want to murder Joseph, but instead they decide just to fake his death and sell him. So chapter 37, verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, they decided to sell him. So I actually find this passage a little bit funny. The, the brother Judah says, let's not kill him. I mean, good night, he's our brother. We can't kill him. Let's just sell him, right? So we can't kill him. Let's just sell him. When these slave traders came by, verse 28, they pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt, right? Let's check this here. So God is sovereign, God was sovereign. He was in control. He had power over the situation when Joseph had the dream and Joseph agreed with God's sovereignty. Now Joseph's circumstances have crashed, right? His death was faked by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. Ready? Is God still sovereign? When everything tanked, when, when it was on top of the hill, God was sovereign. He was in control. He had a plan. When everything tanked, did God change? Or did circumstances change? And how did Joseph respond? See, Joseph had a, a choice to make when, when the news was good, same God, still sovereign, but the news is terrible. And Joseph still has the freedom to make a choice, even though his circumstances have changed dramatically. Is God still sovereign when Joseph is sold into slavery? Joseph goes with these, 
these, uh, these migrating slave traders, they take him down to Egypt and they, they, they then sell him. They pass him along to somebody else and he's bought by a guy named Potiphar who was a, an Egyptian governmental official. This is now chapter 39 of Genesis. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph as, so that, that he prospered. Catch that. He's in slavery, but the Lord was with him so that he prospered. He lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When the master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes of, of, of his master became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Verse 5 from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything he had, both in the house and in the field, okay? So we start off on top, God's sovereign, things are going my way, Joseph chooses to trust this. We crash now. Is God still sovereign? Joseph is sold into Potiphar's house and things kick back up. God's presence was obvious with Joseph. He raises through the ranks. Now he has freedom. He's still a slave, but he has freedom to operate. He's living in abundance. Things are going his way. His life is kind of hitting the top again. And the Lord is blessing, the Lord is giving success, and the Lord is giving favor, and Joseph is being recognized for that and rewarded for it. So here's the question. Is God still sovereign? Is he still in control? Is he still executing a plan? Was he sovereign at the beginning, sovereign at the crash, sovereign in the rebound, was Joseph's success in Potiphar's house part of God's plan? Is the plan still playing out? And how did Joseph decide to respond to that plan? Well, the Lord was with him. So when he was sold, he didn't reject God. And when his circumstances elevated again, he chose to praise God. He executed his free will by putting his faith and his trust in God on both ends of the roller coaster, right? But now he's on top again. Things are great. Business is good. And he's giving God credit for it. He's being recognized and he's being blessed. Is God sovereign? Okay. Now, things take a turn. The Bible says that Joseph was handsome, he was an attractive man. And let me tell you, I can say from personal experience, beauty can be a burden. I've carried it most of my life. So Joseph was handsome. He was attractive. And Potiphar's wife was attracted to him. And as you read the story, what you'll, what you'll see is that Potiphar's wife 
kept trying to lure Joseph into bed. And Joseph said, I don't want to dishonor the Lord. I'm not going to go to bed with you. So what she did was unbelievable. She leveled a false rape charge against him. And she went and told her husband, hey, your right-hand guy tried to rape me. Potiphar, of course, believes his wife over his slave. And he has Joseph thrown into prison. Okay, ready? Is God still sovereign? Is, is, is Joseph's pain a part of God's sovereign plan? And what choices does Joseph have the freedom to make here? So he's been up, he's gone down, he's gone up, now he's down again. He's falsely accused in prison. Is God still sovereign? And does Joseph have the option to throw his hands up and say, you know, this time, God, just forget it. This is ridiculous. How many bad things have to go on in my life for what did he choose to do now that he's at the bottom end of that roller coaster again? Right. So the story goes on. Joseph's in prison. And the Bible says this, verse 20. Now he's there in prison. Verse 21. Here it is again. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So Joseph did, chose to not reject God. New circumstances, difficult circumstances. The Lord is still there and the Lord is still with him. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. So Joseph is now running the prison is completely trusted by the, the warden because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. We're up, we're down, we're up, rape charge, we're down. Now we're in prison, we're up again. Here's the question, I bet you know it. Was God still sovereign? Was he still in control? Did he still have a plan? Was he still trustworthy? Was he trustworthy in Joseph's pain? And is, is the injustice that resulted in Joseph's imprisonment part of God's plan? Did God lose control for a second there? And as Joseph excels in prison... Is that elevation part of God's plan? And what were Joseph's choices? See, because there's no hint that he got bitter or he lost faith. There's no hint that the injustice just drove him insane. Can you believe it? Now I, I can't stand Egyptians. Look what one just did to me. There's none of that. God continues to be with Joseph. Joseph continues to respond to God. And God continues to pour out his favor on him. I'll let you read the story about the baker and the cupbearer. You should look at it. It's really fascinating. Here's the short version. Joseph now winds up in front of Pharaoh. And at this time in world history, the Pharaoh of Egypt would have literally been the most powerful man in the world. The Egyptians thought of him as a god. 
The Egyptian empire is enormous. It's the superpower of its day. And so Joseph, a shepherd from the middle of nowhere, who takes this a crazy journey, landing in prison, now is coming out and standing in front of the most powerful man in the world who had a dream that was given to him by God, the Bible says. The Bible is very clear about that. That God caused that dream to happen. The Pharaoh doesn't know what to do with it. Joseph had had an interaction with one of the Pharaoh's officials while in prison. That cupbearer, that official says, hey, I know a guy that knows how to interpret dreams. Pharaoh gets Joseph out of prison. He's standing in front of uh, Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, interpret my dream. Joseph, in essence, says, I can't do that, but God can do it for you. Do you want me to ask my God? Yes, have him do that for me. Joseph did. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. The end result of that interpretation is to look at Pharaoh and say, God is trying to tell you that you're going to have seven years of bounty. You should save up because after those seven years, you're going to have seven years of famine and you should be prepared for it. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, you are wise. God is obviously with you. You're going to run that project and you are going to be the second most powerful person on planet Earth, second only to me. Now, here's the question. Ready? You know it. Here it is. Was God sovereign in that moment? What a swing, right? We're the favorite kid. We're sold into slavery. We do well in slavery. We're falsely accused. We do well in prison. We're forgotten about in prison because the cupbearer was supposed to help me out. And now I'm the second most powerful person on planet Earth. Was God sovereign there? And what choices was Joseph making? He, you, see, you see the choice to give God glory. You see the choice not to become embittered. You see the choice not to turn and blame people around you. Did God ultimately direct that whole process that lands Joseph by the side of Pharaoh? It's fascinating At the very end of this story, everything plays out exactly the way that Joseph told the Pharaoh that it was going to play out. At the end of this story, guess who shows up? The brothers who faked his death and sold him. And they show up. It's a really neat story. You need to read it. But the summary is this. They show up. Joseph literally has the power over life and death. He says one word, they're dead. He's looking at them and he's doing math, God math. Did you guys ruin my life? I had to live as a slave. I had to go through a false rape charge. I had to go to prison. And it's your, did you guys ruin my life? Is it your fault, your jealousy, your pettiness? Did you guys ruin my dad's life? 
because for X number of years, he's been grieving my death because you faked it. What about my little brother that I didn't get to grow up with? What have you guys taken from me? And Joseph is in this place of ultimate power. And if he wants to exact justice or revenge or vengeance on his brother, all he literally has to do is snap his fingers and it's done. And in that moment, when this story swings around and Joseph's original dream is playing out, that his brothers and his parents are bowing down to him, is God still sovereign? And does Joseph have choices? And what math is he going to do? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it's on the screen, is kind of the summary of Joseph's thinking when he says this to his brothers who sold him. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph looks at his brothers and he has a choice. And what he chooses to do in that moment is trust the sovereignty of God. You guys thought that you were in control, but you weren't. God is ultimately in control and he is the ultimate authority of what happens in my life and what happens in yours. You guys thought that you had pulled one over. God was using you as a part of his plan. What you intended for evil or to harm me, God intended for good. And when you look back through Joseph's life, God's sovereignty is undeniable in Joseph's life. Joseph is either the luckiest person in the world and the most unlucky person in the world simultaneously or God's sovereign. Because it, there's very few people's lives that ping-ponged more than Joseph's ping-ponged and in such dramatic fashions. So he's either simultaneously the luckiest guy that's ever lived, just one lucky break after another, or the unluckiest guy that ever lived, one, one unlucky break after another, or God was in control. And Joseph was seeking to ride God's plan and willing to release his own because you see that Joseph's choices are also undeniable. No matter his circumstances, Joseph chose to honor the Lord. He had a free will within God's sovereignty. He didn't have to choose to honor the Lord. All kinds of people don't. But he chose to do that. He chose to flee temptation. He chose to submit to authorities. He chose to do his best no matter what circumstances he found himself in. And by trusting in God's sovereignty and making what we would say are godly choices, 
Joseph participated in God's plan instead of being irate and frustrated and disappointed that God didn't bless Joseph's plan. Because Joseph would have never chose the path that he took. Who's going to choose to be sold into slavery? Who's going to be, who's going to choose to get a false rape charge? Who's going to choose to do prison time? He would have never chose that. What he chose to do was to be faithful to God as God unfolded his life. Last weekend, I gave you this statement. This is a good tattoo. Ready? I said, never underestimate this, the, the power of simply living the Christian life. That's a great tattoo. It would, it'd be like a full sleeve, but it would be nice. Never underestimate the power of simply living the Christian life. This weekend, I want to build on that foundation, and I want to give you this phrase. Ready? Never underestimate the greatness of faithfulness. Never underestimate the greatness of faithfulness. Joseph had no ability to show up and be a rock star in God's story. The only choice he was really able to make was to be faithful to God, to trust him, to see what he was doing, to, to live the way that he knew God would want him to live regardless of the circumstances that he was in. Never underestimate the greatness of faithfulness and how that allows us to become people that God can mold and shape and use in ways that we would never ask for and never imagine, but God is glorified through. God's sovereignty is true regardless if we're a follower of Jesus or not. He is sovereign. He's in control. He exists. And he is true whether we understand or not. In fact, I would say this. I actually think it's impossible for us to ever fully get our head around the plan of God. His ways are simply higher than ours and his thinking is higher than ours. He's God, we're not, we're different. We're not like God, he is other than us. So it's impossible for us to, to look and say, oh, I see exactly what God's doing. Sometimes we can do parts of that in hindsight. We can look back and say, oh, I see now what God was doing. But it's impossible for us to do that with a forward view. And it's impossible for us to do that to completion. That this is exactly why God did this instead of this. We will never be able to get our head around that. And this is what happens when, when we're going through difficult times, like many of us are going through right now. What we'll do is we'll run to our own understanding and we'll start to try to get our head around it. We'll look, we'll look at the stats and we'll look at the economy and we'll double, we'll double check the, the, the decisions of our governmental officials and we'll double check the decisions of our boss and we'll put our own logic together and we will search to figure out how we can possibly get everybody else to adhere to our plan. And in the process of doing that, we will drive ourselves insane. 
and we will start to become critical and we'll start to, to become uh, frustrated and angry at people who are not doing what we want them to do. Why won't the governor do this? How come the president did that? Everybody knows what we should have done is this. You know what the real problem is, is this. Nobody did the math this way. It'll start to drive us crazy. And then you'll personalize that. My dad should have done this instead of that. My wife should have interacted with me this way instead of that way. My kids should have behaved this way during homeschooling time instead of this way. And we will take that and spin that up into a hurricane of the mind and a hurricane of the soul. And our anxiety will go through the roof and our stress will go through the roof and the blood pressure will go through the roof. And all of that stress and all of that anxiety and all of that worry will absolutely change nothing around us because it's out of our control. And we'll look at what's happening around us and we'll count it as us losing. If the governor would have done this, my business would have been fine. If my kids would have done their math class, I wouldn't have to be sitting here till one o'clock in the morning and helping them do it. If my wife would have, and we'll blame and 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 blame. Or, or we could rest. We could rest in the sovereignty of God. That in the, when we were making tons of money and life was going the way that we wanted to go, God was sovereign. And in the crash, he hasn't changed. His plan just wasn't our plan. When we thought that our Leaders were the greatest thing that ever happened. And now they're not doing what we wanted to do. Well, God, God didn't change. Our expectations changed. When I was as healthy as a horse, and now I'm sick, well, God, God didn't cease to care or know or lose control. He took me on a path that I didn't know I was going to go on. And what you see in Joseph's life, Joseph was not passive. He was not passive. Whatever circumstances he went into, he started to work at and excel in. He was not passive. He was not a doormat. When Potiphar's wife tried to get him to sleep with her, he, he didn't say, okay. He, he, he resisted it and fled the temptation. He wasn't a doormat. He was strong. He, 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 he didn't give up. No, oh, I guess I just, God's going to do what I want to do. He was faithful. And what grounded him was not his abilities and not God's blessing or lack thereof. What grounded him was God's sovereignty. That God is taking me on a journey that I didn't know about, that I wouldn't have chosen, but God's up to something. And I want to trust and have faith and rest that his plan is better than my plan. His ways are greater 
than my ways. His perspective is broader than mine could ever be. And I probably won't ever figure it out. But I have a choice. And the choice is I can trust it. I can trust it. Guys, I tell you, th this week, I, I'm not really sharing like a sermon. I'm like telling you more about my devotional life here because uh, this is the journey that I've been on. I am a controller and a planner and an organizer. And, and I like that and live that way and think that everybody who is awesome should do that too, right? That, that is my personality. Heidi teases me that I have a plan for how I'm going to mow my grass throughout the summer months and the, the, the plan to develop my lawn over the course of the summer. And she thinks that's hilarious. And I think that that's brilliant because I actually have that plan, right? So that's my personality. I like it. I, I look at that and I think that, apply, that should be the way that we lead things and do things and organize things. And when my world gets blown up, it really stresses me out. And this week, what I've had to do is rest in God's plan. And when I spend my energy frustrated that God's plan is not my plan, I usually fail to see God's plan. And I'm so mad that I got sold into slavery, I miss all the opportunities to bring glory to God at Potiphar's house. When I'm so irate that I'm getting ripped off and this is so wrong, I miss all the opportunities to bring glory to God in prison. When I'm so frustrated with the man and the system and the this and the that and the community and those people and why do they, when I'm so frustrated with the people around me, I, I, I look to get even instead of to see that God is using them to move me. I thought God was going to use me to move them. And I've struggled with it. I do. And the, 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 the truth that has allowed me to sleep at night and literally pulled the tension out of my shoulders is when God kind of gently rebuked me through his word and in essence said, um, who do you think's running this show? I am doing something, right? How many people have come to know Christ in the last five weeks? How many families are focusing? Look at what I am doing. Things that you would pray for and want, I'm accomplishing. I'm just not doing it the way that you thought I was going to do it. And not in a passivity, not in a naivety, but through faith. When I've been able to rest 
in the sovereignty of God and rest in who God is way more than in what the governor says. My heart sinks up with God. I start to see the opportunities that he has put in front of me instead of seeing what I wish he had put in front of me. See, I see what he's doing and it changes my mindset and it changes the anxiety of my heart. Jesus would say, that's what I mean. You cast these burdens on me. You cast this anxiety on me. I care for you. And by the way, I got it. I totally got it. Your job is not to understand it. Your job is just to remember that I got it. And to be faithful to me and to be faithful to loving the people that I love as I lead you on the journey that I have mapped out. And when we do that, we're matured and completed, stronger. His God is the author and we're kind of the pen in his hand and, and what he is deciding to write is up to him. Our accepting his embrace in his love, he leaves up to us. Where does God have you? Where does God have you? It's a very different question than where am I at right now? Where does God have you? Why does he have you there? Because that guy's dumb? Nope, nope. It's, it's, that's not the perspective of a Christ follower. Why does he have you there? What does he want you to accomplish while you're at the place that you're at? Why did he put you there? What is your faithful response to that? How is God changing your future? Well, they're blowing it up. Wait a minute. God's your provider. Are they doing that or is God changing it? What's your perspective? Because if they're blowing it up, I'm mad at them. If God's changing it, I start to look for the path he's laying out for me that I didn't know I was supposed to take. That's okay but that God has placed me on, how do I walk it? How is God changing your future? And what opportunities is he creating? Well, you, I can't even go to school. They canceled my whole school year. What am I supposed to? Okay, I got it and I get it and, and it's disappointing, but that means there's this whole other plate of opportunities. What are they? Okay. Because ultimately God's sovereign. He's not shocked that they canceled school for the rest of the year. So if he, if he allowed that or did it or has control and authority over it, what else is he laying out for you? And for the Christ follower, we would, we would think like Joseph. That would be the goal. Because he just looked at that all the time. I thought my future was gonna be in Potiphar's house. I guess it's in prison. I thought my future was going to be in prison. I guess I'm the second most powerful guy in the world. See? And it, the story is not about happy endings. 
that the story is about a sovereign God and a faithful follower. And never underestimate the greatness of faithfulness. Okay, let me pray, right? Would you, would you bow your head wherever you're at, your kitchen, your family room, wherever it is, and let's just chill for a second, all right? Would you pray for me, with me? Jesus, help us with this. This is, this is hard for me, Lord, and you know that. We've talked about it all week long. I, I really like being in control of my own life. And so thank you for confronting me with that. And God, help me, this does not come naturally to me and, and for all of humanity. And so this is a step of faith for us. So give us the courage to step out on faith and to rest in you, not to be passive about life, of course, but to rest in you. God, for your followers through your Holy Spirit, Would you show us, empower us, and draw us in that direction? And God, for those of us who are watching who are not yet your followers, and we're looking for hope, and there's got to be something bigger, and we're so frustrated, and we're so over this quarantine thing, would you let them see you in a different light? And through your kindness, would you draw them to yourself? And maybe allow them to experience the peace and the rest and the hope and even the joy that you want to give them. We trust you, God. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Go before us in all things and help us to see your plan and embrace it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.